Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And so he brings this point out, who are you really? Who, who really are you? And God is wanting us to make the same confession to him and say to, say to God, yeah, my name is Jacob's also. My name is Jacob's also because there's a Jacob inside of me, right? A Jacob who has gone through life from one struggle to another, living a life without the Lord as, as my God. Okay, that's Jacob. Well, the great news about Jacob is that he didn't stay that way. He didn't stay in the state of the Lord is not my God. And it all changed that night. In Genesis 32, when he wrestled with the man who was God, and he got his hip put out of joint, pretty painful, and he emerges that night really with something very new, and the something very new was the Lord was his God. The Lord was his God, and to commemorate that great change that happened in Jacob, he got a new name, Israel. As we've read about the the life of Jacob in Genesis, it's all been very exhausting, It's very exhausting for us to follow Jacob through one struggle in his life after the other to the point where he got broken and he finally, the Lord is his God. But it's very important for us to see this. It's very personal for us, very personal application. That's why more than half of the book of Genesis is about this person, Jacob. Of all the characters in the book of Genesis, more is written about Jacob than any other character. That's why, because there's a Jacob inside of each one of us. And the Jacob inside of us does the same thing. It says, thank you to God, but no thank you. Thank you, but no thank you. I want to do it my way. And that leads to this life of struggles and frustrations that we've been reading all about. Finally comes the night, as I mentioned here, the night of the breaking, when Jacob is broken and he he emerges out a new man. He's a born again man. He's a new man. He's a born-again man. He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Well, now he's approaching his death. He's approaching his death. And that means that Jacob is approaching what the Bible calls the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. So Jacob now, he's approaching his death. And so, like I said, Proverbs 4.18. Proverbs 4.18 is the verse. The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. That's what's happening. Verse 29, when it says the time was coming when Jacob must die, it's telling us Jacob is winning. Jacob is winning. He's approaching death. He's not just going to heaven. He's going to heaven triumphantly. He's approaching death in verse 29. He's not just drifting into heaven's harbor. He's sailing in with full sails and a spinnaker. 
(laughs) He's really coming in winning. He's coming in, verse 29, he's winning. So different from when Frank Sinatra did die. And as he approached death in that hospital bed in Cedar sinai in Beverly Hills, and with his wife, Barbara, the only person that was with him, he was fighting, and she was saying to you know him, keep fighting, keep fighting, try to breathe. He had trouble breathing. Try to breathe. And his last words were, I'm losing, I'm losing. It's so different. So with the start of verse 29 now, we've come to the beginning now of the last section let's just say the last chapter, so to speak, in Jacob's life. And this last chapter here in Jacob's life, which is the chapter of his death, will be from this verse through to the end of the book, will be the preparation for his death, his death, and his burial. That's what we're going to have here in the rest of the book of Genesis. So from verse 29, with the approach of death for Jacob, we have really the approach of the death of the last of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob's death is going to be for us the conclusion of the book of Genesis. It's going to be the conclusion of the history of the beginnings, the history, God's history of the beginnings. So now that Jacob knows that he must die, there's something very pressing on him. Something is really bothering him. And you can see that when it says that in verse 29, Verse 29, he called his son Joseph, said unto him, if now I have found grace in thy sight. Now look at this, he says, put I pray thee thy hand under my thigh. Deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. But I'll lie with my fathers. Thou shalt carry me out of Egypt. Bury me in their burying place. And then Joseph responds, I will do as thou hast said. And he says, swear unto me. And he swear unto him. And then he bows himself upon the bed's head. So he calls Joseph, he probably had a messenger, go and call Joseph. And he starts out by saying, in verse 29, if now I have found grace in thy sight, put I pray thee. He says, if I found grace in thy sight, this is the patriarch, Jacob, speaking to his son, Joseph. I mean, this shows us the humility of Jacob to say to his son, if I found grace in thy sight. He's appealing to his son's affections to him as a father. And he asks them, put your hand under my thigh, which was a custom of the strongest vow possible. And the whole idea with the hand under the thigh was that the person who was making the promise was to see that the person he was promising to was putting his whole being in his hand. He was depending on him. He was relying on him. So what's important for us to see here is this strong determination that Jacob had to bring his body out of Egypt, and he binds Joseph with the strongest oath possible. So who else in Genesis used this method of the hand under the thigh? Who else? Right, it was Abraham. Abraham for Isaac. Right, it was Abraham for Isaac. As in Genesis 24, we remember when it says, Abraham said unto the eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I'll make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of Canaanites among whom I dwell. I shall go unto my country, which happened to be Syria, and to my kindred, which happened to be Syrians, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Now, why was it so important for Abraham 
that his son Isaac not marry a Canaanite? What would be wrong with marrying one of the local girls? What was it? They're okay? <laughs> so, all right. Great sinners in the areas of sexuality, Sodom and Gomorrah, that's Canaan. Great sinners in the area of idolatry, idolatry. And so why was it important? Why was it so important that Abraham not marry one of these Canaanite women? Is because he knew he, his son could very easily be drawn away from God. I mean, the promises of God to make a great nation from Abraham and to bless all the families of the earth and to bring forth the deliverer through Abraham, it all had come down to one person, to Isaac. It was all in Isaac. Everything was resting on Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's only son. Now, when you think about Isaac and the history we know about Isaac, what kind of a person, I mean, how would you describe Isaac? What kind of person was Isaac? would you say? Was he a bold, strong character, or was he more the timid, retiring type? What are you going to say? He was mama's boy. He was more the timid, retiring type. You remember? Sarah, his mother Sarah was dominant, with a capital D, over Isaac, right? And we saw that when Ishmael was mocking Isaac, and boy, did Sarah come up. She came up with Fire and fury, <laughs> she said in Genesis 21.10. Genesis 21.10. Wherefore, Sarah said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman, that'd be Hagar, and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be here with my son, even with Isaac. So, pretty strong person. And by the way, um, Rebecca was kind of a strong person too. Uh, she was the one who told uh, Jacob, go deceive your father, obey my voice. I don't know why the patriarchs married such strong women, but they did. And that's just the way it is. I don't want you to think that there's any strong women among the Jewish people today. (laughs) Anyway, and then you remember Isaac, that he retreated from taking a stand against the Philistines who stole his wells. They stole his wells in Genesis 26, 15. Genesis 26, 15. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. Now, you know, they steal his wells, and then he comes, the king of the Philistines comes and says, You're stronger than us. So what does Isaac do? Does he say, Yeah, you're right, I'll show you? No. In verse 17, Isaac departed and pitched his tent in Gerar. So, Isaac was a non-confrontational person. He was a gentle soul, so to speak, you know. And the picture that we have of Isaac that really characterizes his life is Genesis 24, 63. Genesis 24, 63, where it says, Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide. He just liked to go into the quiet fields and meditate and be with God. That was Isaac. He wasn't trying to conquer the world. You know, he just wanted to spend time alone with God. That's why he lived the longest of all the three patriarchs, because he wasn't prone to having heart attacks. He would rather eat lunch. Anyway, but Abraham knew all this about his son Isaac, and Abraham knew that a wife would make or break Isaac. So Abraham was very concerned to make sure that Isaac did not get a wife from the Canaanites. And, he, and Abraham, Abraham himself, he would have gone out himself and gotten a wife for Isaac, but he was too old. He was too weak at the time. As Genesis 24, Genesis 24, 1 opens up, Genesis 24 open, 
24.1 opens with, Abraham was old and well-stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I'll make thee swear. So that's why Abraham showed such a strong determination for Isaac to not marry a Canaanite, not a Canaanite woman. And that's why Abraham used this method of, of the hand under the thigh as the strongest vow that he could get from Eliezer, his servant in his house, who had jurisdiction over everything in his house, to get a wife for, for Isaac from Syria. This is the only time in Abraham's life when we ever see him making a vow like that. This is the only time in Jacob's life when we ever see him making a vow like, getting a vow like that. It shows a strong determination. And that determination, verse 29, bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. Now, can you imagine Joseph, how this made him felt, all the emotion, his old father. Now, he's got his hand under his thigh. He's like he's holding his father. He's so close to him, you know, face to face, and he says to him, bury me not in Egypt. Carry me out of Egypt. Bury me in the burying place of my fathers. Now, what else could Joseph have said at that time other than what he said in verse 30? In verse 30, I will do as thou hast said. I will do as thou hast said. Okay, so Joseph has now promised that he's going to do what Jacob has asked him to do. But was that really enough for Jacob? Was that enough? Was Jacob satisfied with Joseph just saying that in verse 30? I will do as thou hast said, was it? No, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't enough because Jacob went on to say in verse 31, swear unto me, swear unto me. Now, when Joseph did swear to Jacob that he would not bury him in Egypt, he'd carry his father, his remains out. Was that enough? Yes. That was enough. How do you know he was satisfied? How do you know it was enough? Because of verse 31, Israel bowed himself upon the bed's post. Jacob, you see him in this finally resting. He's finally got what he wanted. I mean, this is a lot of drama. There's a lot of drama right now over getting assurance that Jacob was not going to be buried in Egypt. But notice how Jacob, in all of this drama, is called Israel. He is Israel in all this drama. So it wasn't Jacob who was agitated not to be buried in Egypt. It was Israel, which shows that the person who was all agitated was the man who was the prince of God. Now, when you compare the deaths of the three patriarchs, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what was there that was different about Jacob's death compared to the deaths of Abraham and Isaac? What would you say? Something was different about Jacob's death compared to Abraham and Isaac's? Simple question, not complicated, yes. Unlike Abraham and Isaac, Jacob died in a foreign land. He died in a foreign land. And that was what was so strong on Jacob's mind. He was sitting in this second, he was sitting to himself, my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, they died in the land of Canaan. I'm not gonna die in that land. I'm gonna die in Egypt. So why should it matter? Why should it matter to Jacob where he's buried? After all, what difference does it make whether they're Canaanite worms or Egyptian worms that are gonna eat his body? What difference does it make? Well, it was important. It was important for Jacob because Jacob wanted in his burial to make a last statement to the world that he was turning his back on everything that Egypt had, all the pleasures and all the idolatry, and he chose to not be buried in Egypt. Bury me not in Egypt. 
And that was a statement of faith. And he knew that he was being watched. Jacob knew he was being watched. Jacob knew he was being watched by his children. He knew he was being watched by his grandchildren. And he just wanted this last statement to be very, very clear that Egypt was not the home of the people of God, but heaven was the home. Now, that's a lesson for us. That's a lesson for us to realize we're being watched. We're being watched in the decisions we make, and we're helping to guide those. And that's why he says so strongly in verse 30, I will lie with my fathers. He's saying, I'm, he's saying uh, I'm not going to turn away from the faith of Abraham and Isaac, and therefore it's important you bury me with them. Now, what's important is not the ceremony of how he died. Like a friend told me recently, he said, Tom, with you going skiing now, says, you know, we're going to get a phone call that you hit some tree. So we think that you should do your own service now. You should plan it all out. <laughs> so, well, that wasn't what was important, doing the memorial service for, or the flowers or anything like that. It was the place. It was the place where he would be buried. And he says, carry me out of Egypt. Now, he has to re- Jacob has to rely on Joseph to carry his body out of Egypt, and that's why he worked to get this oath from him to carry him out of Egypt. And, and sometimes we are so weak and we are so defeated that we just don't have the strength, and that's the time really to pray to God, Lord, I'm in a temptation right now. Carry me out of Egypt. Anyway, he wants to be buried in Canaan, and his last statement is going to be that. So that's what he wanted, and, and he wanted to be in this cave that, um, of Machpelah, that Abraham had purchased and that Abraham was buried in, Sarah was buried in, Leah was buried there, Isaac was buried there, Rebecca was buried there. And so it's now a mosque. Nothing's perfect, you know. <laughs> so anyway, so then he bows himself on the post. It says bedpost. There's only one Hebrew vowel difference between bedpost and staff. Might have been a staff. So Tuigen translates as a staff. We're not going to argue. But what a victory that was that Jacob had. What an example of a life that's victorious. Bury me not means the world's not my home. So he wants to be carried out. He wants to be buried in this place. He says, I will lie with my fathers. Now, here it's important when he says in verse 30, I will lie with my fathers. Here it's important for us to get a little bit deeper than the English because the King James is just not reflecting what the Hebrew is stating. See, when Jacob said in the Hebrew, what Jacob said in the Hebrew was more of a sequence. He says, first, I will lie with my fathers. Then you will carry me out of Egypt. Then you will bury me in the burying place. So the New American Standard got it right, and the NIV got it right too. So the New American Standard translates it like this. When I lie with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And the NIV says, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt. The Hebrew here, the NIV and the New England Standard got right, is very important because when you read this first, the way it is here in the King James, it makes it sound like Jacob will lie with his fathers when Joseph buries him in the cave that they're buried in, and that's not what he said. And that's why the word when is very critical for an understanding here what Jacob is saying. When I lie with my fathers, he say, when I lie with my fathers, it's very important. So why this is so important is it shows to us an understanding that Jacob had about death. Jacob described his death as being immediately united with his fathers. And then later his body would be buried with their bodies where they were buried. 
And that's exactly how Jacob's death is described when he does come to die in Genesis 49.33. In Genesis 49.33, it says, And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. See, right there it identifies that as soon as he died in Genesis 49.33, as soon as he died, it says he was gathered to his people. Describes a sequence here. You know, keep your eye on the feet. His feet go into the bed. He stops breathing. He's gathered to his people. That verse is stating that as soon as he gave up the ghost or breathed his last breath, at that moment, he was united with his fathers. That was the moment of his death. He was united with his fathers. Then the next chapter, which is chapter 50, we read what actually happened to his body. And it says in chapter 50, verse 1, Joseph fell upon his father's face, wept upon him, kissed him. Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, and the physicians embalmed Israel, and 40 days were fulfilled for him. So are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed, and the Egyptians mourned for him three score and ten days. Wow. So when the, that's 70. So when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I found grace in your, in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die in my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan. There shalt thou bow, bury me. Now, therefore, let me go, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I'll come again. So there's 40 days of embalming during the same time, let's just say. There's 70 days of mourning. So it's 70 days later, at least, it's more than 70 days later. Just, you know, they got to get the caravan ready and, you know, make the request and et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it, we really could be talking about approaching three months. So three months after he dies, his body is carried up to Machpelah there and buried with his fathers. Now, Jacob knew that he would be embalmed and he, and he said that, you know, that as soon as he died, he would be united with his fathers. But what he said was that when I die, I will immediately be united with my fathers. And that's how Jacob understood death. The same way as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.8. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. As soon as we die, we are absent from the body as Jacob was and will be present with the Lord just as Jacob was. See, that's why Psalm 73 Psalm 73, 23 describes death like this. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holding me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. See, David described life and death as a state of being continually with God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. 
Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, Creation Museum and Tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 